UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, howling in the street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. Uh, I have another back. Oh wait, it says it says preparing to stream live. I don't. I'm not sure if we're live just yet. I want to make sure we're uh, make sure we're completely 100% live before on I my start. End, it says meeting is now streaming live on YouTube. Okay. I, all right. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have a seriously really downright fascinating guest today. I decided to do this live at the last second. I hope you guys like the lights in the, the light in the background, the ones of an alien and the other ones, obviously the initials for my podcast. But who I have with me today is I have with me James Shubsky. Uh, he basically, he does the, uh, the Columbia River Gorge Paranormal Hotspot. Um, I kind of wanted to be, I, I kind of wanted to be really inquisitive about this, so I don't know much about it. Like, um, basically, mm-hmm. former volunteers in search rescue EMT, wildland firefighter, mountain guide, James Chubsky will discuss a wide variety of paranormal activity at the Columbia River Gorge, including click tat, eight cat, Sasquatch, UFOs, portals, and a small um, humanoids. Um, in his short bio, is James Shubsky is the chief operating officer of Margie's Outdoor Store, located deep within the Columbia River Gorge in Washington State. In 2022, his store initiated a paranormal reporting program, which has now received well over 100 reports of strange activity in the Gorge area. James is a former volunteer and search rescue EMT, a wildland firefighter, a mountain guide, and a highly decorated U.S. Army infantry veteran. He earned a degree in communications from the Evergreen State College and has enjoyed a decades-long career in that field, working for companies like Wizards of the Coast and the Makers of Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering. He currently volunteers his time as the leader of the Click Pat, Ape Pat Rescue Chain. And the websites are www.margiesoutdoor.com, www.facebook.com, James Chubsky, or it doesn't say, it just has a profile ID. And then it says Instagram.com slash Margie's Outdoor. Uh, and I want to give him a big warm welcome to the show. James, thank you for coming on my show. How are you? Great, Robert. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm so glad to have you. I love paranormal hotspots. Like, I've talked to a lot of people. I've had, uh, you know, Trey Hudson on from, uh, he, he, he does the one down south. It's called the, um, it's called the, uh, South Skinwalker Ranch, uh, the meadow, they call it, but they, they give it an undisclosed location. They don't give their location away for some reason because they don't like a lot of people going to it. Um, is that been the case with you? Like once this got out, were there a lot of people showing up in this area to see the phenomena or, or how, did, how did it all work out? Well, uh, so uh, the Columbia River Gorge, just to give your listeners sort of a, a place and a sort of a description, uh, the Columbia River Gorge forms the southern boundary between Washington State and Oregon. Uh, the river itself, the Columbia River, is 20 million years old, and it is the largest river in North and South America that empties into the Pacific Ocean. It runs right through the middle of the Cascade Mountains, and so uh, it is the only sea level passage through these mountains. And so you go from basically sea level to three to 4,000 feet in less than a half a mile. And it is geologically one of the most stunning and beautiful places you can possibly imagine. Um, Because we are sitting sort of, um, we span a a mountain range, uh, the western half of the gorge is a Pacific Northwest rainforest, but the eastern half is desert. And so you can imagine desert mesas and, you know, exposed rock formations and all that kind of stuff. So it is, um, like I said, amazingly beautiful. Within, so I operate a store there called Margie's Outdoor Store. 
And for the past uh, year and a half or so, uh, we have been uh, formally taking in paranormal reports. As you mentioned in the intro, we've had close to, well, now it's up to close to 170 different reports of uh, all kinds of um, strange and weird phenomena. Anything from Sasquatch, uh, which is extremely common out here. In fact, uh, almost everyone who lives out here has a neighbor who's seen Sasquatch or has seen them themselves. Uh, we've got tons of UFO sightings. Uh, recently, for the past year and a half, we've been receiving reports of a thing we call the Clickitat Ape Cat. And this is a mysterious, enormous Black Panther-like creature. Uh, and the stories of this thing go back 40 years. And we'll get into some of the details. Um, there's a, a theory that this may have escaped from the Hanford Nuclear Reservation, which was our country's first and foremost a plutonium processing plant. And it's about... Um, a four day walk for a cougar or a big cat from where my store is. And so uh, that was a place shrouded in all kinds of secrecy, but they had some pretty advanced research plans going on out there. And uh, one strong theory uh, maybe that these cats that don't belong in the Pacific Northwest came from that research area. Um, there's also three strata volcanoes within 40 miles of my store. And so there's Mount Hood on the Oregon side, Mount St. Helens, uh, which famously uh, erupted in 1980, and Mount Adams. And Mount Adams has long been a uh, paranormal hotspot. In fact, the first UFO sighting in the United States uh, by Arnold um, that uh, 1947 uh, occurred in the Cascade Mountains over Mount Rainier, and the objects that he saw in the sky flew from Mount Rainier, which is a little bit north of us, to Mount Adams. And so there have been decades of reports of uh, those kinds of um, phenomena going on here. I, I want uh, to interject real quick, just real, just real quick. Uh, Mount Adams, that's where James Gilliland's East Side is, right? Or, yeah, um, that's just up the road for me. Yeah. Oh, that's that's amazing! Wow. Yeah. So I mean, that's weird that like there's a there's so much uh, paranormal phenomena, UFO phenomena going on all in this area like what do you think if you had to guess like what do you think is going on do you think there might be a portal because it's easy to blame it on the government i i, I don't think you would do i'm not I, I think a lot of this stuff remains unknown I, I don't think we'll ever have answers for it but like so i like to say maybe we're looking at something that's interdimensional activity or portals because it's easy to say yeah it's the government but i don't think it's mm -hmm. just the government i think there's a lot more going on when we think about the paranormal but, but what's your opinion I think you're absolutely right. Um, we definitely have reports of um, covert military aircraft flying here. So flight uh, soundless black choppers and things like that. And there are definitely uh, those types of aircraft, experimental aircraft being flown in the gorge. Um, part of the reason why is there are so many hidden uh, canyons and valleys that they can stay below uh, radar level. But uh, there are also things which are clearly not uh, government aircraft. And you, know, you asked me what my theory on it is. And I, actually, I think it's a story that's 20 million years in the making. Um, so as I mentioned, Columbia River Gorge has been flowing here for 20 million years. And so there's an extremely powerful energy current that has been running uh, through this canyon corridor for um, a very, very long time. And uh, so then about 15 million years ago, giant fissures opened in the earth on the close to the Washington-Idaho border. And enormous volumes of like Hawaii style uh, lava erupted out of these in giant fountains. And so these eruptions, just to give you a sense of scale, the lava literally flowed 300 miles from the border of Idaho to the Pacific Ocean. In some places, this uh, it, when it cooled, it formed basalt rock. And in some places that rock is three miles thick if it spread out over the entire United States, it would cover the United States uh, 60 feet deep in um, lava. And so we had this tremendous um, eruptive activity that occurred here, like I said, 15 million years ago. The river was fighting that lava the whole time and maintained its flow through all of that insanity. Um, then uh, about two to, five to, two to five million years ago, uh, the Cascade Mountains really started raising up. And so You've got like Mount Adams, which is 12,000 feet, um, and uh, Mount Hood and, and Mount St. Helens, all over 10,000 foot uh, strata volcanoes. 
So you've got this very strong uh, vertical energy coming up from the earth there. Then uh, about 15,000 years ago, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with uh, like Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson who talk about the Younger Dryas floods. Yes. So um, the leading theory that makes the most sense to me is that a series of meteorites or asteroids hit the Canadian ice shelf um, during the ice age and flash melted it. It created floods that were larger than uh, all of the rivers on earth combined times 10. And so you're talking about a wall of water uh, over 400 feet deep as it ran across Eastern Washington. It hit a place called the Wallula Gap, which is essentially the beginning of the Columbia River Gorge. And then it started shooting westward towards the ocean down the gorge. And uh, in some places in the gorge, that water was seven to 800 feet deep. And what it did was it completely stripped all of the um, earth and all the soil off of the sides of the canyons. And so we have these astonishing rock formations, columnar basalt. So when uh, that uh, lava cools, it forms these hexagonal columns. And sometimes they can raise 90 to 150 feet tall. Well, because of the volcanic activity that happened here 15 million years ago, uh, there was estimated to be 300 different eruptions that flowed across. And so they formed this layer cake. And so when you drive through the gorge, you see this utterly phenomenal rock formations uh, that are unlike any place else in the world that was scoured clean 15,000 years ago. Because of that, we've got the highest concentration of waterfalls anywhere in the United States. And some of these waterfalls are you know, 300 uh, feet high. Uh, here, now we're in the springtime and the whole place is just covered with wildflowers. So it is, um, uh, when you take all that into consideration, you're talking about a land that has been truly traumatized first by fire and then by flood. And my theory is that uh, because of all that activity, the boundaries between worlds here has been worn thin. And so people talk about this idea as above, so below. And so, you know, some people conceptualize that we live in a physical plane and above that is an etheric plane, an astral plane, mental plane, spiritual plane. And the idea is, is that anything that happens in one of those planes, there is some corresponding activity that's happening in the others. And here in, um, in Washington state and this Columbia River Gorge, we have this utterly, I mean, apocalypses on a biblical scale happening here multiple times. And because of that, uh, those same type of um, activities are going on in the other realms of existence. And I think that it's easier in a place like this that's seen so much trauma for things that are in maybe the etheric realm to slip into our world or for people to inadvertently stumble into the other realms while they're adventuring here. And so that's kind of my, my operating theory as to why this is such a crazy place. Like the amount of activity here is kind of off the charts in terms of anywhere else in such a confined and well-defined area. I have uh, a question. Oh, I'm sorry. Sure. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say um, right where I um, where my store is, uh, the Columbia River Gorge is about 4,000 square miles. Um, and when you look at the entire Cascade Mountain Range, uh, it's about 80,000 square miles, and it's extremely remote. 80,000 square miles is larger than the 10 smallest states in the country combined. And those 10 smallest states have an average population density of around 4,000 people per square mile. Out here in the gorge, it's more like four people per square mile, or excuse me, in the Cascade uh, Mountain Range. And so when you're talking about rugged landscapes and you're talking about a place that is truly remote and there are wild places that people never, ever go, um, this is that place. And because of all of the crazy geology that's gone on here, like when you look at the NOAA navigational maps, it says, warning, your compass readings will be wrong in this area. And there are some places, there are some like cooled lava flows, uh, one place we call Brook Lake Barrows, the compasses simply don't even work there at all. And so it is, um, if there was ever a place where things could hide and not be discovered or, uh, you know, have a chance to maybe have existed for longer than we can imagine, this would be that place. Yeah, I was just thinking, do you think this could have something to do? I don't know if anybody's ever asked you this question. Do you think this could have something to do with inner earth? Have you ever gotten any more about like what might be underneath you? Like, because a lot of people are talking about inner earth today. And I was just wondering about that. I was like, it could be portals. It could be interdimensional. But I'm trying to think of all possibilities. Did you ever, did you ever think about that? 
Well, um, so of course, you know, we sit on top of the Cascadia subduction zone from a geo geological perspective. You maybe have heard about this mega quake that uh, is supposed to ruin the whole West Coast. Um, and so here in the Northwest, like what's below us is uh, two continental shelves crashing into each other, which is what's forming the, the Cascade Mountains. Um, I will tell you that I personally have explored miles and miles and miles of caves in the Cascade Mountains. Uh, you know, just uh, like from the store, you know, you drive maybe, I mean, I can drive 10 minutes and get to a cave. And so this whole area is Swiss cheesed with lava tubes. And um, certainly, you know, we, many folks here even call Mount Adams Portal Peak because um, there's both this notion that there's an actual physical hangar door that opens up towards the peak, there's the summit of that mountain. And there's also people who have reported uh, like portals opening in the air next to the mountain. And so in terms of whether or not things are passing from you know, other dimensions or pocket realities, or things of that nature, it's entirely possible. And what's amazing is that you know, people who walk into my store, you know, Margie's Outdoor Store there in Bingen, uh, they come in and they tell us what they've seen. And um, of course, you know, so um, I'm sorry, before I get into that, did I answer your question? Um, yeah, 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 I got you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. This is, it sounds like such an interesting area. It sounds phenomenal, actually. Like, I'd love to see this. Like, I mean, how many acres would you say it is, like in total that we're talking about here? So people get an idea of the land. So um, like I said, the Columbia River Gorge is about 85 miles long. Right. And uh, and so, uh, like, I don't know if you can see the map behind me, but uh, the gorge is the blue strip in the middle. And um, if you go north 35 miles, you get to Mount Adams. If you go south about 35 miles, you get to Mount Hood. And so that's sort of the um, what I consider the gorge, the, the uh, territory that uh, people who are filing reports in my store. Uh, that's that's the area that we're talking about. And again, spanning anything, all terrains from rainforests all the way to, you know, high plains desert. And so, uh, again, just we have like the outdoor adventure opportunities out here are significant. You know, you had mentioned in the intro, you know, I'm a infantry soldier, wildland forest firefighter, search and rescue EMT mountain guide. And um, the gorge is the world premier best place to have adventures like outdoor there's rafting there's mountain climbing there's you know uh trails there's spelunking there's caves there's everything and so um the way that i came to be running these stores is that uh, it was owned by my mother-in-law and she passed away at the time my wife and i were living up in seattle and someone had to come down and run the family business and so um that task fell to me and it was so exciting to be able to to move down here and um, once I realized that people were walking through the door with these incredible tales, we put up a big sign in the window and it said, file your paranormal reports here. And we set a policy that we would um, believe the witness, that we wouldn't uh, try to insert what we believe they saw or what they had experienced, that we'd take in the data, ask them rational, intelligent questions, treat them like an adult and give them the respect that any person who's had an unusual experience deserves. And um, because of that policy, we have earned a reputation as being a place where you can go and uh, your claims will be taken seriously. Now, of course, there's some folks, and it's surprisingly few, who come in and are just having fun and they, you know, make up a tale or whatever. No harm, no foul as far as we're concerned. But the vast, vast, vast majority of folks who come through our door or go to our website, margiesoutdoor.com, uh, where you can also file a report, are very earnest and they've had a truly uh, unusual experience. And so the human connection that we make with those people, uh, the relief that they feel when someone uh, believes them and, and takes their words as um, uh, an honest but unusual experience, you know, that's been the most rewarding part of the project uh, by far. One, one thing I wanted to bring up was I was I was going to bring up your book. You do have a book. It's called Arcane Adventure Maps. This is amazing, people. He has full-color guides to all the paranormal hotspots within the gorge, but they're only currently available at his store, Margie's Out Store Store in Bingham, Washington. But if you look at it this way, it gives people more an opportunity to get out there and actually see the paranormal hotspot. If you want the book, you go to the hotspot, you get the book, then you can explore the paranormal hotspot. 
and you make a, a trip out of it. I think this is what people need to become more. Too much of us are spending time in front of our computers when you could be out exploring. I, I'm guilty of this myself. I need to be out <laughs> more. You know, like I, I really want to start doing more kind of adventurous stuff. And this seems like something that would be right up my alley. Um, one thing, one thing I wanted to bring up, I, I guess we can start getting into some of this paranormal stuff. Um, it says, uh, petroglyphs and reported encounters with extraterrestrial beings within the gorge, as well as stories from around the world speak of a race of supernatural Black Panther protector beings. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So let me give you a little background on uh, this Clickitat ape cat. So uh, it was a little over a year ago, um, a guy came in this door and it took him, um, like most of the really good stories. Uh, it took this guy about 45 minutes of chatting with me before he felt comfortable, you know, talking about what he had experienced. He was out um, orienteering. So, you know, map and compass kind of uh, outdoor adventuring uh, at a spot that's maybe four or five miles away from the store, an uh, area called Buck Creek. And he said that he noticed that his compass was going strange. It was, you know, bending away from north. Uh, very shortly after that, he looked up across the creek and saw an enormous black cat creature. He said that this thing was very large and extremely muscular. Uh, so in his report, he said that it stood four to five feet tall at the shoulder. Now, right there, that was a clue to me that this is an unusual creature because even tigers, the largest living um, cat on the planet, don't aren't that large, right? The other thing is, is that in we certainly have cougars out here in, in Washington state, but cougars are never supposed to be black. Uh, so they're normally a tan color. When they express their melanin, they go to a more of a reddish color. But we've talked to many wildlife experts and they all say that there is no such thing as a black cougar. So you've got two components here. You've got this creature that's larger than a tiger. You've got a creature that's got black coloration, which it shouldn't have. So those are both things that shouldn't exist. Also, it seems to be messing with his compass. He said that it had fur that was four to five inches long. And he said that the most remarkable thing is that it had a face that looked like a monkey. And I pressed him on this. I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? And, you know, he said it had intelligent ape-like eyes and that its face was flattened. So you know how like, um, so imagine like a, a, a German shepherd dog, it's got a long snout. And then you take like a pug dog and it's got a much flatter face. And so what I'm imagining that he saw was a creature who's was definitely a cat, had a long black tail. Um, and then, uh, but its face was more flattened and that looked like to him a primate. Um, so he said that he watched it for about five minutes. He had the sense that he was in the presence of something special or unusual. The term that he used was actually, it was felt like he was in the presence of something magical. And then it turned and seemed to disappear into the forest. And so what a remarkable story. And I have to express to you, like part of the thing is that this is an incredible amount of fun. Like Scooby-Doo mysteries walk through our door almost every day. And this to me was something I had never heard of before. That's and cool. so I was really excited about it. The next day I was talking to my employees and I said, oh, we got this great report last night. And I described the creature and one of my employees started shaking. Now, Missy is one of the most honest people that I know, and she's the kind of gal that doesn't like playing practical jokes on her coworkers because that's kind of like lying, and that's just not how she rolls, right? And she said, um, oh, my God, I saw that creature two or three years ago, she said, and she was driving down Klickitat Canyon, uh, which is one of the canyons, a uh, river canyon that runs off of Mount Adams. And she, it was early in the morning, uh, right there at sunrise, and she saw this enormous black cat creature with a long black tail uh, walking near the side of the road. Um, she was so taken aback by it that she actually stopped her car and watched it. Uh, apparently, it wandered into a small patch of tall grass, and she waited to see it come out the other side, and it never did. Eventually, she got out of her car, and she could find no trace of this creature. Now, uh, she was wondering if maybe she should warn the houses that were nearby that there's a some kind of giant black predator, uh, but she thought that they would think she was crazy. So uh, she just went about her business. She described this encounter to her family, and um, they all kind of laughed it off, and they told her that she had probably seen a cow, a cow. And so you think about how crazy it is. Like, this is a grown woman, and like if you saw a cow, you would definitely know if it was a cow or a cat. It's sort of like uh, if you were 
if you had seen a red Ferrari driving down the street and you described it to your friends and like, ah, Ferraris are pretty rare. You probably saw a red minivan. You'd be like, no, I know the difference. Um, this was definitely uh, a large black cat. And she didn't get a good look at its face. Um, later, she would tell me that she had a friend who had come to visit and uh, on the way to her house, which is also up Klickitat Canyon, um, this friend saw a very large creature dead in the road. And so as soon as Missy heard that they got back in the car, this was less than 10 minutes later, they were back at the site where this creature had been seen dead on the road and there was nothing there. They went back and forth, you know, uh, three miles in either direction, never saw it again. And as I heard that story, um, I remembered some of the paranormal literature that I'd read that describes how beings from uh, like the etheric plane will sublimate, their bodies will sublimate when they die here in the physical world. Now, whether that's true or not, I'm not an expert, but to me, it was interesting that here was this, uh, her friend had seen something and she hadn't told her friend about this black cat that she had seen. And they went back out to check it out and whatever it was, it was dead in the road had disappeared. So um, that was sort of my introduction to this click ape cat. So, you know, obviously as a business, we have, uh, you know, a contract with their local radio station. And so we started putting up ads. Has anyone else seen this big black cat? You know, these were two credible reports. Um, the first gentleman who had talked to me about it he was actually a friend of my mother-in-law. His family was a friend of my mother-in-law. And so there was a family connection there and, and good reasons to believe him. And then this, one of my employees also had seen this creature. And so those to me were like, this is a mystery that needs more investigation. I put up signs at the local trailheads and soon we started getting in tons of reports. Now, of course, we held back some of the details of these reports so we could sort of have an ace in the hole to determine if people were telling the truth. And in the past year, we've received close to 60 reports of this creature, including very high ranking law enforcement officials. And the reports of this creature go back uh, well over 30 years. And um, a lot of the reports are pretty mundane. Like uh, I was driving my ATV along a trail up near um, Centerville and this giant black cat jumped across the trail and scared the crap out of me and I never saw it again. You know, this is not a person who's looking for glory or some kind of sensational story. It's just like the kind of thing that happened. We've had hunters that tell us that they've seen it through their scope and they decided not to shoot it because they thought it was endangered and they get in trouble. We've had another individual who saw it at the end of his driveway and it had a kit with it. So a small kitten, uh, a youngling. And uh, so many, many reports. Uh, there are several reports of it jumping across roads and its body is spans both lanes of the road when it leaps across the road. So of these 60 or so reports that we've had, all of them describe this enormous black panther creature with a long black tail, very muscular and with relatively long fur. About half of those reports say that it is four to five feet tall to shoulder. So enormous and beyond the size of any living cat. There is only one cat in the fossil record that matches its size. It's an extinct ice age uh, creature called uh, Panthera atrox, uh, the American lion. And so this was a creature that was all over North America and certainly in Washington state 10,000 years ago. Um, and so one of the theories is that this is a ice age holdout, a creature that has survived in this vast, vast wilderness up here in the Pacific Northwest and has camped out here in Klickitat County. So um, all these reports are coming in and we're trying to make sense of it. So I began to do some research and so, all across the world, there are stories of um, black panther creatures, and in particular, uh, human-animal hybrids. So like in, in Egypt, uh, the goddess Bast is considered a panther uh, hybrid. There's stories in Southern and Central America, there's stories in Babylonia, stories in China. And so all over the world, um, there are these tales of supernatural black panthers. Oftentimes, they're human-animal hybrids. And um, they almost universally play the role of a protector, which I found fascinating. Now, Native Americans uh, also have legends of what they call underwater panthers. My understanding is that when they talk about something being an underwater creature, they're talking about it coming from a different realm. And when you look at the literature on supernatural beings, they're either taking people to an underground realm, a sky realm, or an underwater realm. And in the Great Lakes, this creature is known as the Meshepeshu. And one of the descriptions that I read said that uh, its appearance is that of a black panther with the face of a man. And I thought, wow, that is pretty remarkable. 
Now here in Klickitat uh, County, where my store is located, um, about uh, 20 minutes to our east, we have uh, what's called Horse Thief Lake. And there are a number of petroglyphs in this area. And you know what? If I could share the screen, I'll show you one of them. Oh yeah, let me let me enable um screen sharing. Hold on one second. Let me uh. I All gotta, right. There you we go. Sorry. That. All right, no problem. Let me go ahead and pull this up. Share screen. All right. Um, okay. Can you see the picture that's on the screen? Not so what yet. It, it it just says James has started. Oh, now I can see it. Yeah. Oh my God, those are amazing. Wow. Yeah. So this area right here is, uh, we call it Petroglyph Park. Uh, again, it's Horse Thief Lake, if anyone wants to look it up. What we're looking at is a picture of a rock and it has got a, a cat-like face on it. And, um, but what's interesting is there are wavy lines underneath it. And those wavy lines uh, in my mind could easily represent water. And then through those wavy lines is a giant crack. And when you talk about uh, petroglyphs, one of the theories is that um, a picture binds the creature to the rock or to the place. And that crack um, is something that means that that binding has been broken. So it's been uh, uncoupled from its uh, water uh, depiction there. There are many other petroglyphs in this area. None are quite as explicit as this, but this tells me, so these petroglyphs are thousands of years old. And in fact, um, the Columbia River has many dams on it, and uh, there's one near uh, the Dalles, Oregon. And this one would have been uh, submerged, but it was rescued and then relocated to this Petroglyph Park so that people could come check it out. So there's this really deep, um, interesting story about uh, that perhaps this creature has been encountered here in the Columbia River Gorge for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, so that's one of the lines of inquiry that, you know, we're trying to follow up on and see if, you know, there's um, more tales to be told there. But earlier in the interview, you had mentioned ESETI Ranch. And for folks who don't know, ESETI stands for Enlightened Contact with Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And it's located in the town of Trout Lake, about 20 minutes north of my store. And uh, so Jim out there has... Um, been hosting people and people come from all over the world and you sit out on Jim's ranch and you watch UFOs fly around Mount Adams all night long. People come skeptics and leave believers. And uh, what's interesting is that one of the extraterrestrial races that they uh, claim to be in contact with is a race of feline humanoids. And so that's a very interesting connection. And, you know, whether or not this is the same thing or something similar or something different, it's impossible to say, but there's also that deep and interesting connection there. So yeah, that those are the some of the theories about where this giant cat is coming from. Now, there are black cats in North America, and uh, what the problem is is that their range is a thousand miles south of Klickitat County. So basically, you only see them in the very southern edges of um, Arizona and New Mexico. And so there are there's not supposed to be any big black cats here in Washington state. Uh, I, I mentioned that, you know, we've had a number of reports. We've had some folks who say that while they were looking at it, the, the batteries in their headlamp and their phone died simultaneously. And so as I look at these things, uh, there, it could just be some kind of mutant cougar uh, that isn't yet recognized by science, but we have a constellation of clues that tell us that it may also be a paranormal creature. So some of those clues are, uh, it seems to follow electromagnetic devices like batteries and compasses. It seems to be an impossible creature. So it has characteristics which don't match any uh, animal recognized by science. Uh, it has the ability to phase in and out of our ability to see it. So it's got that, um, you know, it's, sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't. As I mentioned, the reports um, kind of are different. Uh, all the reports talk about the big black cat with long black tail. 50% of them say that it's, you know, enormous in size. And about five or six of them say that it's got a face that looks like a monkey. So the notion of shape changing or human animal hybrid, that's another one of those paranormal clues to me. And also the sense that people have when they see it, that they feel like they're in the presence of something special or magical. So all those things are present in some of the reports and it leads me to believe that, oh, we could be dealing with something that is, uh, not possible with the laws of 
nature as we currently understand them. Yeah, I just wanted to throw in like, um, there's a researcher here in Pittsburgh. I'm all the way on the other side of the country. His name's Stan Gordon. And he looks into like cryptids and UFOs too. Like he's had like, kind of like you, he's had like a phone encounter line where people call in over the past mm -hmm. years. And uh, he he's getting sightings of Black Panthers too. I wonder what it is about the, the Black Panther. Well, that's what's being reported here as a Black Panther. Like, I wonder what that is that it's like such a paranormal creature. Like, um, it's just really mysterious and majestic over throughout time, I guess, or how's that? What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good question. And like I said, the history um, goes back, you know, easily four to 5,000 years of reports of uh, supernatural race of Black Panther creatures. And whether that's what we're dealing with here or not, it's hard to say. Um, and, you know, like I said, my, I first heard about this phenomenon uh, a little over a year and a half ago, uh, not even quite a year and a half ago. And so I'm still educating myself on all the possibilities. Um, I was amazed to see uh, how this Black Panther creature shows up in so many different cultures um, and in so many and basically every continent that human beings have existed. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, is there a reality that is outside of or adjacent to our normal physical reality, where this is a, a persistent race of beings. Um, it's a possibility that you know I'm I'm certainly interested in entertaining, because all the other uh, plausible explanations um, seem to be a, a bit of a stretch. There is one though that is really interesting, and it has to do with the Hanford nuclear site. Uh, and I can dive into that story if. Uh, yeah, I just uh, wanted to see, like, can you show like some of your other pictures? I see you have pictures of a guy in yeah. a cabin, like a, a humanoid, some orbs. I'd love to see some of your other pictures. Yeah. Like, is that just all like like dramatizations or are those like. like so, real? yeah, let's see here. Uh, oh, that looks a, cool. Yeah. So this is uh, the report that first guy who was orienteering. What we're looking at is a picture of a man looking at an enormous uh, black cat in the forest. And uh, this is about the size that he reported that he had seen um, out there near Buck Creek. Um, oh, they're huge. Yeah. Uh, let's see. There's another picture here. This is another depiction of other uh, wow. sightings of the uh, Klickitet ape cat in the desert areas. In fact, um, there is a small ghost town uh, right near the Dalles Bridge, uh, Piner Ghost Town. Uh, the Dalles was the, basically the western terminus of the Oregon Trail. And people got to that location, and then uh, they had to turn their Conestoga wagons into boats and float down the Columbia River to get to Portland. But uh, in the area where the petroglyphs are found, uh, so this is like right near where that cat petroglyph was found, uh, there was a woman who was walking her dogs near this ghost town. It's right next to a hotel. And she claimed she saw this uh, cat, enormous black cat uh, that looked wet like it had just come out of the water. And so to me, that's uh, very, very interesting. Uh, what else do we have in here? Um, probably, uh, so again, we had talked about- uh, Oh, we didn't get into like Sasquatch or ETs or anything yet. Like have you had yeah. a lot of reports of Sasquatch there too? Oh yeah. I've got uh, probably, uh, people have shown me hundreds of Sasquatch hair samples. We've got tons of Sasquatch reportings. Um, there are some areas that are, um, there's an area Oh, this one's probably about 15 minutes north of my store. Uh, it's the Monte Cristo Natural Preserve. Uh, locally, it's known as Monster Mountain because there are tons and tons of Sasquatch sightings there. And it used to be a logging area. And the local lore says that it was closed down because there was so much Sasquatch activity in this one spot. Now, I've taken my, my personal vehicle up there. And so I've got a FJ Cruiser. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like that, that I sort of, it's got five cameras and it's able to, you know, go through any kind of terrain. Obviously out here, we've got everything from, you know, uh, sea level uh, lakes and rivers all the way up to glacier clad mountains. Uh, the deserts can get up to 118 degrees. In some areas we see negative 14 degrees during the winter. And so I need a rig that, uh, and we've probably got 2000 miles of uh, dirt track. Uh, in the wilderness areas. And so I've rigged up my FJ Cruiser. It's got a snorkel and spotlights and all kinds of extra gear on it. Uh, we've got a drone in there and, and we take it out uh, when we get a, a report that's uh, fairly recent. I love your, uh, I love your license plate, Cryptid. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> 
Yep. And just to give you a sense, uh, this is a picture of a, a place called Beacon Rock. It is the cold core of an ancient volcano. And um, when those floods came through, all but the top 100 feet of this thing were underwater and it stripped away all of the land. It was a cone volcano at the time, and now it's this, this uh, the second largest monolith in the uh, Northern Hemisphere. Um, like I said, there are tons of caves in the area. This is a lava tube here. That wow, that looks beautiful. That's, yeah. Is that a real, is that like a real, like what it looks really looks like? Is it that yeah. like powerful? Yeah, that's during the fall time. And so of course that's all the fall foliage out there. And some parts of that, so this is in a lava tube. Uh, parts of the lava tube have collapsed and formed a canyon. What's amazing to me is this old fall foliage here looks kind of like flaming lava still burning in that canyon corridor there. Um, we talked about Mount Adams. So this is a picture of Mount Adams. And this is wow. the reported um, hangar door that reportedly opens up and uh, vehicles fly in and out of it. Well, that looks amazing. That looks like there's a mm. real hole there. That looks like yeah. there's like a, like a real entry there. Yeah, exactly. Check out, that looks like there's a square entry right there. I mean, mm. has any is anybody able to get up to that and see what's going on? If that's, or can anybody you know, climb that? Or is, what's up well, with I, that? Many people climb it. I climbed it um, well, probably 20 years ago uh, before I was doing many paranormal investigations. You know, you look at it um, from this picture and it looks like, oh, well, it should be easy to go check it out. But honestly, the, to get to that particular part of the mountain is incredibly difficult. And there are some established safe routes up the mountain and it's nowhere near the safe routes. And so, um, but it's been long been reported that, uh, that this is a, a huge paranormal hotspot. With another cool thing here in Cuyahoga County is we have a life-size replica of Stonehenge, and um, so that's wow. about forty minutes east of my store. Um, and you can see that it's just a stunningly beautiful area. This is a picture of uh, looking east during the sunrise. The island that you see there is called Memelus Island. It's known as the Island of the Dead because it was an Indian burial ground, and uh, there are stories of you know, pioneer folks, a guy named James Hartley was known as the ghoul king because he would go and rob these graves for artifacts. Well, eventually he was captured and murdered and they found him uh, tied to a canoe with a hazel stake through his heart. Uh, but oh, all wow. the newspaper reports at the time called him the ghoul king. I, this is uh, a weird question or not a weird question, but I, I don't know if anybody's ever asked you this on other podcasts. Like, has anybody report, reported any encounters with like any spirits there? Like, um, like, you know, like seeing someone out of like the 1800s kind of walk up to them or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, oh, wow, these absolutely. are some amazing pictures. So, um, so I mentioned this area called Beacon Rock. Uh, so in the early 1900s, um, this was turned into a state park. And there's actually a really amazing trail, which is pinned to the side of the cliffs. And it takes about oh, 40 minutes. But the trail is easy, like kids and dogs make it all the time. But it switches back and it's got bridges and tunnels and everything else. And it's, um, it's an 840 foot climb. But there was one guy who uh, was originally um, going to blow the thing up for gravel. And he had a spiritual awakening and he became its greatest protector. And in the 1930s, the Civilian Conservation Corps came and they had uh, built the, a number of trails and modified the uh, park so that it was um, able for visitors to come check it out. Well, I've talked to maintenance workers there and they talk about apparitions at uh, the equestrian trailhead and also um, some of the other trailheads that lead up to the mountains and the waterfalls nearby. And so this is a artist depiction of what they talk about seeing and they see these human forms, these apparitions that are glowing slightly and they call out to them and these apparitions just walk into the forest and never respond. Um, we've also had reports in that same area of glowing orbs. And so this is a, an artist recreation of um, what those look like. You can see Beacon Rock in the background of this picture and three glowing orbs floating about four to five feet off the ground. Um, these were seen, I don't know, probably it was it's in November. I know that because there was a meteor shower. The guy had gone out there to go, uh, you know, watch the sky. And he saw these three orbs come floating towards him. One got within 20 feet of him. He reached out towards it and it disappeared into like a, um, you know, like campfire sparks. And yeah. the others had disappeared immediately thereafter as well. I got a uh, question. Pretty, uh, I'm sure. sorry. I just, I just thought of this because I was looking at the sky. Like, is it, I, I mean, because like when I go for like, I go for night runs here in Pittsburgh and I haven't seen a UFO yet, but like, I was wondering like, 
is it nice stargazing there? And and why would it be different there? Because I've heard that stargazing is better in certain parts of the country. Like some people like we have an astronomy park here in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. that you can go to and get kind of better access to like, um, you know, like, you know, stargazing. Um, what would you say the stargazing like there? And is it different than other places? Oh, it's, it's astonishing here. I mean, when we have here in the gorge, the gorge is one of the more populated areas of the Cascade mountain ranges. And we have, uh, less than 10 people per square mile. And so you look at any typical city and you're looking at anywhere between two to 10,000 people per square mile. So just the light pollution alone is um, gone. And then there are so many mountains nearby so that even if there's one town with you know a bunch of lights in it, you go around the bend and you're literally around a mountain and uh, the sky, you've got dark skies again. Also, there are many, many high points that you can get to uh, fairly easily if you know how to. And you could be way out in the wilderness uh, in, you know, 10 minutes and up in a high point. And um, people have been watching the auroras uh, here for the last a couple of weeks since we've had all that magnetic storm activity. So yeah, it is a phenomenal place uh, to stargaze. That's amazing. amazing. Yep. Uh, here's, an, here's This is my wife in uh, a cave that's nearby. This is uh, maybe 30 minutes from our house. Um, but this is uh, the 47th longest cave in the world. And again, one of the lava tubes um, that's in the area. Uh, we've had reports of small humanoids. This is the picture of, uh, it was a scene at the side of the road, not far from where that petroglyph was um, located. And uh, the driver reported that this creature was about three feet tall, not much taller than the front hood of his car. And uh, he saw it only for a minute. Uh, he said that it had a head that looked sort of like a praying mantis. Uh, immediately after passing it, um, the center console in his car went dark and his phone started uh, blowing up and going crazy. This was at two o'clock in the morning. About three or 400 yards down the road, he started feeling dizzy and sick and had to pull over. Um, but we've had many reports of small humanoids. You know, and For me, a lot of this is new. And it's, it's not difficult for me to wrap my head around there being lights in the sky or there being a Sasquatch out in these vast woods um, or that there's an enormous cat running out of here. I, when I, there are some things like these small humanoids that always throw me for a loop because it's so far out of our realm of understanding. But we've had several reports of small humanoid creatures and the Native American traditions talk about the little people who live in the forest and are able to uh, cloud the minds of people. And so, uh, again, some of the crazy cool stuff that's going on out here. Um, what else can I show you? I, yeah, I got had, a question. Has anybody ever had any uh, missing time or has anybody thought they've ever been abducted or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, particularly up by the caves, we've had multiple reports of uh, missing time. Um, you know, people with uh, thinking they were gone for a few minutes and finding out they were gone for hours. And that's fairly common. I, I shouldn't say fairly common. We've had you know, half a dozen reports of that. Many reports about portals. And so these are apparently, some people have seen them floating in the air next to Mount Adams. Some people have seen them alongside of the road um, in an area, let's see if I've got a picture. Yeah, so this is, we're looking at the Lyle Gap. That is so beautiful. I I wish I could, oh my God, I gotta come there. That's that's amazing. I'd love to just be there and take that in. Is that um, sunset? That's a sunrise. And- A sunrise. um, Yep. And this is from an area called Catherine Creek. We're looking at what's called the Lyle Gap. And so you can imagine that like water was filling this entire canyon. Like you can see this sort of uh, plateau sticking out here. Like the water was over that level as it ran through here during the Ice Age floods. But right in this area, we have people have reported portals, sort of these shimmering disks off the side of the road. and so, yeah, here's another uh, view. This is from an area called the Rowena Plateau, again, looking east down the Columbia River and just stunningly beautiful um, areas. Do you, with do you do amazing. guided tours or do people just kind of do this on their own or how does this work out? So, you know, um, we've been taking in these reports and when we first started taking them in, I didn't know what I was gonna do with them. So many people asked us, well, what are you learning? Like, what do the reports contain? And so that's why I started creating the Arcane Adventure Map. So. The Arcane Adventure Maps take a specific area that we've had a lot of reports in, like the Horse Thief Butte area or the Beacon Rock area. And, you know, it's like 10 bucks. And um, 
it's like four pages and we show you these pictures we you know I, um, I'm a cartographer so I enjoy drawing maps and so we show you where the things occurred and how to get there uh, I suppose eventually we should offer them online because we're getting so much interest in them you know I, I didn't think anyone outside of the gorge who couldn't come here would be interested in checking them out but really it's a way that we can um, give people the opportunity to get out there and see for themselves. Um, very recently, I, um, I'm actually working with a bus tour company and I'm writing the script for what looks like it might be a five hour tour of the gorge uh, where you can go check out all these sites and um, you know, get, get uh, sort of a guided uh, curated tour of the area. Would it be seeing, hard to take a vehicle up there because, like, uh, because the terrain? Like, would, would you? I mean, what would you even need to, to take a, a group of you know, people? Um, so the tour that uh, we're looking at is probably 130 miles all told. So up one side of the gorge and down the other, and you know, a normal vehicle can do it. There are roads on either side of the gorge, and once you get up into some of the, um, well, how can I explain this? So there's a thin strip of humanity along the river. And then there are a couple of spurs that go up into the hinterlands. Uh, and they're all normal roads, like anyone can drive on them, you know, it doesn't take any special vehicle. Uh, but then there are some areas, like when I get reports in some of the backwoods areas, um, then you need to have a four by four with high clearance. Uh, but pretty much, you know, if you're, unless you've got a low rider and um, you can you can get to a lot of places. Some places, you know, still have snow on them even now. And so there, you can get, you can get stuck, but. If you're careful and don't do stupid things like you can get to most of these areas on your own and so it's pretty cool you know i should also show you there's also a place there's a an actual living druid sanctuary not very far from east city ranch and it is partnered with a zen monastery and so they have um, a really beautiful place that's open to the public it's called the trout lake abbey and it is uh, beautiful and it's just a stunning place um this is a depiction of the uh, forest spirit that's associated with um, Beacon Rock. And so lots of really cool stuff to check out out here. What's the um, lore behind that forest spirit? Like, what's that all about? So um, many cultures before Western, you know, dualism gained prominence, believed that there was a spirit that lived within each natural feature. And it was a spirit that was conscious and that you could communicate with. Uh, and so in, you know, uh, Shinto uh, belief system, they're called kami. Uh, for Native Americans, they're often um, referred to as, you know, like uh, wild men or little people. Um, you know, in in Europe, they were elves or fae, or fairies, those kind of things. In Greece and Rome, they were dryads and nymphs. And so this notion that uh, every living thing or every feature of the landscape has a spirit associated with it is um, very, very common. And it's only uh, modern Western thought that sort of thinks it's foolish. But um, as you get out into these places, you can really sense that there are spirits associated with them and that you can have a, a relationship with, that you can communicate with uh, in non-traditional ways. And so this is a depiction. Uh, the, you know, obviously the Sasquatch spirit is very strong in this area. And there have been reports of uh, Squatches swimming the Columbia River. Um, this whole area, uh, it's near Stevenson, Washington, or North Bonneville. Uh, it's the, I think the feature that's most well known is the Bridge of the Gods, um, which connects Stevenson and Cascade Locks, two towns in the Columbia River Gorge. And um, so like Bigfoot is like a neighbor and, and many, many people have seen it. And so that's sort of what that's about. It's a much more in-depth story than that, um, but that kind of gives you a, a basic sense of it. So, um, but I was talking about, um, you know, these, uh, um, these ape cat and one of the things that's really kind of astonishing is the Hanford nuclear site. So back in, during World War II, uh, the allies were super concerned that the Nazis were gonna unlock the secret of the atom before the allies did. And so they spun up the Manhattan Project and famously, um, Los Alamos, they developed the bomb. But here in Hanford, Washington, which is about hundred miles away from my store, um, they spun up the Hanford uh, Plutonium Works. And this is where they um, refined the uranium and turned it into plutonium. And so the Hanford provided the plutonium for the very first nuclear uh, atomic uh, 
bomb, which was the Trinity test, and then the Nagasaki bomb. And then later during the Cold War, it produced enough plutonium to make 60,000 nuclear warheads. It was the US's number one uh, nuclear production site. And it had, from day one, it had an animal testing laboratory. And so of course, everyone knows that um, they're worried about the Nazis making the bomb, but the Nazis were also very interested in um, modifying creatures to be better, stronger, faster. And so they had trained 2,000 uh, 200,000 dogs that fought alongside Nazi soldiers. They actually claimed to have brought back an extinct ice age creature called the aurochs, which is a giant hyper-aggressive bull. And they populated a forest in Europe with it during the war. And so um, while the bomb was the primary concern, they're also worried that they knew that radiation could induce mutations, that the Nazis would get a hold of this nuclear uh, material and, and modify creatures. And so they put together this animal testing laboratory, which was at Hanford from day one. Uh, and again, this is what would eventually become the Department of Energy, super top secret site. The guy they picked to run that is a guy named Dr. Lauren Donaldson. And his primary academic claim uh, before he got this position was he had created a thing called the Donaldson super trout. This is a fish that is eight times larger and stronger than its natural counterpart. It's re it re reaches reproductive maturity twice as fast, um, and it's able to reproduce faster. It can swim in saltwater and freshwater. It's you know stronger, faster, better in every way than a fish, and it's still a living fish today. And so this is the guy that they picked to run their animal testing laboratory. And as time goes on, he eventually moves down and starts working with all that crazy stuff in the South Pacific with Bikini Atoll and the disastrous Castle Bravo test. But his work continued at Hanford. And during the Cold War, they had this enormous, like this animal testing program group to where they could house a thousand large animals there at a time. There are propaganda films from the 60s where they talk about Hanford's atomic zoo. Well, during that time frame, a guy named Bill Baer took over the biological operations. And he has since passed away, but I've watched several oral histories uh, that Bill had um, agreed to do. And it turns out that they were irradiating apex predators and experimenting on them and they were and they escaped and they couldn't recapture them and so bill talks about this time when they had 30 alligators that they were irradiating testing one night six of these alligators outsmarted the scientists and escaped into the columbia river and so there's newspaper reports about this and everything it's a absolutely 100 percent documented historical fact and so from J july to january they tried to capture these irradiated apex experimental predators, and um, they only ever caught four of them. And even well into the 80s, they were getting reports of alligators in the Columbia River. And I've had people tell me stories about how um, they were kayaking in the Columbia River, and their boats started getting pulled underwater by something. And uh, they eventually paddled ashore and escaped, but they don't know what it was that was strong enough to actually start to pull their uh, kayak underwater. So what's really clear is that out in Hanford, they were doing some pretty sketchy, crazy stuff. In fact, they had over 200 buildings dedicated to research and experimentation. Well, right now, um, a quarter of the US nuclear stockpile is guarded by dolphins. And the reason why is that um, many nuclear sites, uh, like especially like the sub base up here in Washington is on the water. And sonar can't tell the difference between like a a sea lion or a tuna and a Soviet spy coming in, you know, in scuba gear to surveil or sabotage the site. And so they rely on dolphins who are much better at identifying, you know, the difference between these different kinds of animals. Dolphins are trained to put special devices on the divers and they inflate a balloon, brings that diver to the surface, and then the Navy scoops them up and they gather the intelligence for them. Well, the problem with Hanford is it's got 90 miles of river coastline and it's freshwater. So you can't bring dolphins in there. And so um, if you look around, and if you're a zealous cold warrior, you're going to ask yourself, well, what's the best river hunter in the world? Turns out to be the black jaguar. So jaguars, if you go on YouTube, you can see that they can hold their breath for 15 minutes. They are able to eat underwater. They can swim uh, over a mile in open ocean. They um, have night vision that's six times better than a human being. They can kill caiman alligators with a single bite to the back of the head, and they always instinctively drag their prey to shore. So they are pretty much the perfect sentinel creature if you were trying to guard a river site. 
And what we think happened is just like the alligators, they were running some type of experimental program to try to train jaguars to protect the river coastline against uh, scuba saboteurs. Um, those creatures, just like the alligators, escaped from the scientists and then they got into the wild uh, where they've been living happily. And if you were a big black cat um, in, in the Hanford Nuclear Reservation, you wouldn't go north, east or south deeper into the desert. You'd head towards the west where there's the rainforest and all the available cover and prey and better habitat. And so the theory is for a jaguar like that or a big cat like that, it would only be maybe four day walk to get to where we are. And um, so that may be, and then they just settled in here. Um, so that's one of the most interesting theories. You know, if you're looking for a non-magical, non-supernatural explanation, uh, it could very well be that um, there was some type of experiment going on there at that top secret government site and uh, they escaped and they took up residence over here. That's fascinating. That really is. Uh, my microphone went out. Can you still hear me? I can hear you now. Okay. Now, what I wanted to ask you real quick, because we've been going about an hour, I just wanted to say, like, how do you think they were able to train, like, dolphins and, and these animals to, like, do this? Is it? Do you think that's really possible? Or what, do you, have, they, have they shown in history that they've been able to do this? Or what do you think? So, historically, jaguars are the hardest to train of all the big cats. Uh, the easiest to train are lions. Every circus has got a lion, right? Well, up in Canada, there is a, uh, like a sort of a big cat preserve. And there's a jaguar and a lion living in the same pen together. And it turns out they loved each other very much. And they had offspring. One of the offspring was this, what they call a jag lion. Uh, one looked like a normal jaguar. The other one was black. It was like a, as, it was a creature as big or bigger than a lion with black fur. And so they may have been breeding animals together to try to get them to be more trainable. But you know whether or not they were successful, I don't think is, is the point. The US, the CIA did an experiment. It spent eight years and $40 million adjusted for inflation where they tried to turn sharks into radio guided torpedoes. They put this electroshock <laughs> helmet on them and um, they would, the idea was you'd stuff the shark full of explosives and then you'd shock the, a shark to head towards an enemy boat and then you detonate the explosives. Well, after eight years and $40 million, they, their final conclusion was this was a bad idea and it will never work. The point is that during the Cold War, they were doing crazy, crazy things and they were thinking out of the box. And so it doesn't really, you don't never need to have them actually be successful at this plan. You just have to believe that they might have tried, right? And based on the project headgear with the sharks, it seems like the kind of thing that um, they would have at least uh, given a crack at. Yeah, the CIA never ceases to amaze me with the crazy shit they pull. They really have, like, they have gone to like extreme ends to really test yeah. on human humans. And I mean, it just goes on. I mean, you, you wouldn't, when you read some of that declassified stuff, even FBI declassified stuff, it'll blow your mind. It's like I know, some it's of the crazy. stuff the government's done is just, wow. Well, I mean, you know, what this is, sorry, go what's ahead. even more interesting to me is that what if they were successful? I mean, you, you know, as you mentioned, there are stories of um, Black Panthers even in the East Coast. And if they had been successful at training these creatures to be sentinels, uh, they may have deployed them all around the country. Um, you know, it's an interesting idea, you know, one that I haven't done a ton of research on because I really haven't, you know, um, investigated the other reports of Black cats uh, in other parts of America. But it's entirely possible that um, if you're looking for a creature that's a great sentinel, like it's hard to beat a black jaguar, especially with that um, night vision. You know, that's a pretty strong asset. Yeah, I would agree. That's it's uh, yeah, it's amazing. Oh, uh, is there anything else you wanted to cover before we finish up for today, or um, I don't well, have any other questions? You know, I think the big thing is that the reason why I'm you know doing this interview is because I want people to have the same fun I'm having. Like this is, um, I can't express to you what an amazing and fascinating and enjoyable adventure area the Columbia River Gorge is. And a lot of people don't know about it, um, but it is truly one of the most fascinating and uh, cool places to come check out. And so um, 
there's a few things that I'm trying to accomplish with these with this interview, and one of them is to sort of get the word out about these um, creatures and you know all the phenomenon that's going on out here, and to invite people to contact me. Uh, you can contact me. You know the website's got some contact forms on it, so that's a great place. But you know to share this information with folks, see if there's any other theories out there. Um, you know for me, I'm having fun uh, investigating things, and I love the idea of bringing more people uh, to help figure them out. I agree. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Well, can you tell everybody what your website is? And uh, and thank you so much for doing this. Oh, yeah, you bet. So the website is margiesoutdoorstore.com. And in there, you'll find the paranormal reports and some summaries of some of the creatures that are out here and some of the strange phenomenon that's going on. And uh, yeah, and again, the contact form is the best way to get a hold of me. All right. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, and, and have a good night. And uh, thank yeah. you, James. It was very nice meeting you. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Have a good night. Bye.